I don't know if you saw it, but supposedly this is really true. And it was an ad that was placed in the newspaper, and it came out on Monday and said this. It said, for sale, R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Phone 948-0707 after 7 p.m. And ask for Mrs. Kelly, who lives with him, cheap. All right. On Tuesday, the paper had this ad. It said, notice, we regret having aired in R.D. Jones's ad yesterday. It should have read, one sewing machine for sale cheap. Phone 948-0707 and ask for Mrs. Kelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. <laughs> On Wednesday, it said, notice, R.D. Jones has informed us that he has received several annoying phone calls because of the error we made in his classified ad yesterday. The ad stands corrected as follows. For sale, R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Cheap. Phone 948-0707 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Kelly who loves with him. <laughs> then on Thursday it says, notice, I, R.D. Jones, have no sewing machine for sale. I intentionally broke it. Don't call 948-0707 as I have had the phone disconnected. I have not been carrying on with Mrs. Kelly. Up until yesterday, she was my housekeeper, but she just quit. <laughs> Sometimes things can not quite be what we want them to be. One of my favorite things to share with anybody is this. God has nothing better to do than spend time with you. Now, when I say that, I, I think that it just really flows out of this years that I've gotten to know him and how much he loves us and how much he just craves to be with us. And uh, I, I really feel like the more you get in touch with the heart of God, the more that just becomes something you realize. Now, in, in saying that, it's because you're that important to him. I mean, there's just really something about you that has his heart. There's something about you that he wants to be with you and spend time with you. He literally moved heaven and earth to create a relationship. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your presence would move amongst us. And God, if there was only one person sitting in this building right now seeking you, that would bless you to no end. And every individual in here is so incredibly important to you. And I pray tonight we would talk in ways that make sense about how we can connect in deeper and better ways. In Jesus' name, amen. While I'm really excited to be here, I need to tell you I almost didn't make it. Uh, Pam and I went over to Kaiser in Riverside to see my grandson Elam. And if you haven't heard yet, the cutest baby that ever existed was born on April 21st. And uh, uh, we are overjoyed with him. But he it was six weeks early. Five pounds, 11 ounces, and had to go into the NICU, the needle intensive care unit. And so we have been making every trek we can to get in, and they have very limited hours and very, very strict rules on what you can or can't do with this little boy, all for his protection. Uh, but he's progressing incredibly until today, as we walked in, we were informed that the last tube that was inside him was removed. Uh, he's tubeless today. And all of a sudden, the door flew open because the rule is only one visitor and one with one parent can go in. And the door flies open and Pam yells to me, you get to hold him. I have not get to hold him yet. 
And so I rushed in there, man, I'm washing my hands. I actually, there was a, a woman who just delivered a baby a few hours before in a wheelchair. I cut her off. <laughs> I did. And uh, I, I whispered why and she understood. And I made it over there to him. And I only knew I had five minutes to hold him and I had to hand him back so I could be here. And I'm holding him and I'm looking at the clock and I really, really thought about calling up and saying, just get somebody else to preach. I, uh, I'm not coming. But as I had him in my arms, six weeks early, his little eyes opened up and he, he connected with me. And uh, I always say this, uh, you know, many of you who have experienced this, but only those of us who have know what that deep kind of love is like. And I'm holding him in my arms, and time is flying way too quickly. And I don't want to let him go. And in my heart, in my mind, and it's just swimming with how incredible this life is that God has created. And, and just looking at him, thinking of the future that, that he's going to have, and honestly, that he and I are going to have together. And uh, I thought, you know, I really did think this. You know, God, I understand you way better now. I really do. You see, God has created a cathedral of time. This is where we're going to go, and I hope you're going to grab this. He's created a cathedral called time that he has chosen to come and enter into so you and he could spend time together. Time was created by God on purpose, and one day it will cease to exist so that you and I can interact with him in amazing ways. I've been talking about a book by Rabbi Herschel, uh, Joshua Herschel called the Sabbath, and he says this, there is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in one accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space and the acquisition of things uh, become our sole concern. He says, you know what, life gets messed up when we think it's about things because God didn't create life to be about things. Jesus said, what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Life is not made up in the things we own. The truth of the matter is, it's an experience as we were created to experience in the midst of this thing called time that just comes and goes way too quickly. And we need to understand that. Listen to what else Rabbi Herschel says. He says this, While deities of other peoples were associated with places or things, the God of Israel was the God of events, the redeemer from slavery, the revealer of the Torah, the manifesting himself in the events of history rather than in things or places. Thus the faith in him, the unembodied, the unimaginable is born. God created time so you and I would be able to relate to him and connect to him. Just as I held my grandson today. Now what can he actually see? Probably not much, but he could see enough to recognize something there. What could he hear? Now by the way, we know he can hear. Not only because of medical science, we can watch his interaction and reaction to us. And for all the months of his life, he's heard my voice over and over and over again. Obviously, he's heard Jill and Tim's even more than mine. But the truth is, when I talk, I could sense that he's connecting with me. Does he understand the words that I'm saying? No. But does he understand it's me? Does he understand when it's his mom? As a matter of fact, when Jill got to hold him, his, his vitals actually skyrocketed in a positive way and improved just because he knew it was her. 
And God has created you and I to exist in a relational way with him and to connect with him in ways that are real and meaningful. And time is the cathedral he made so that you and I can interact with him. And then the great call comes to use time wisely because you don't have an unlimited amount of time. In Psalm 90 verse 12, if you're there, look what it says. Because I want you to catch what God's wisdom flowing through David says to us. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach me, God, to number our days. Teach me to use every day wisely and to realize I don't have an unlimited number of them. You know, the truth of the matter is I'm older than the vast majority of people in this room. And so I have less days most likely than you do. But that's only most likely. You know, there's a very real possibility in a room this size, there's three or four of you. Today's the last day you'll ever experience. You'll walk out of here and get into a car and boom, it's going to be over. I could be you go to eat at a restaurant and you choke, boom, you're dead. It could be there's something in your body right now very, very wrong. You don't even know it. And, and it's just gone like that. And, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's those things that happen. And we step back and go, whoa, wait a minute. Life's way more fragile than we thought. But the truth of the matter, God said, are you using your time, the moments you have, to the greatest, fullest extent you can? Uh, it hit me when Liam was born that um, when he's 20 years old, I'm going to be 72. Uh, when, when he's 28 years old, which is the average age someone gets married right now, I'm going to be 80. And you know what I told Pam? I said, I've got to start getting in better physical shape because I want to be at the wedding. And actually, I'm going to lobby for an early marriage, 14 or so. You know, and uh, <laughs> do you realize how quick it's going to go? It'll just fly by. And God says, so use every moment you can, every opportunity you have. Be with him and be with people. In Ephesians 5, if you're there, look what it says, starting in verse 15. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Did you grab that? He says, I want you to be very careful how you walk. And I want you to realize that, that the days just are evil, meaning because they just fly and they're gone. And you can't get those back. And the bottom line, is, he says, don't be unwise in this. Make sure you make the most of your time. Don't ever, ever let that go. Are you doing the right things? Uh, are you doing the right things? And are you investing the amount of time you have wisely? Because as I've shared before, God made this amazing cathedral of time that he wants you to relish in and to experience. Uh, if you have your Bibles, again, turn to First Chronicles 16. And I'm going to read a lot of verses tonight, so I'll give you a heads up on some to get to. While you're turning to First Chronicles 16, let me uh, remind you that God is not trapped in time. He created time, and he dwells in a thing called eternity. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, For thus says the high and the lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God says, you know what? I actually inhabit all eternity, but what do I want to do? 
I want to live with those who are humble before me, who have a contrite heart and spirit, who desire to be with me. He says, I want to experience life with you. So even though he is the eternal one who inhabits eternity, he says, I want to come in that minute, moment and I want to begin to interact with you and, and create moments with you and share life with you. And he says, but are you ready to do that? Are you ready to humble yourself and open up to that with me? Because that's God's heart and desire. You see, seeking the Lord ought to be our number one priority. It ought to be nothing more important than that, that we seek him. If you're in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 10 is where you want to be. And it says this. It says, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. In other words, even once you become a believer, more than ever, you seek his face. When you come what we call the level four Christian, you're always going to be seeking his face. It's this great pursuit of ours to get closer and closer to him and to spend more time with him and to know him better and better. If you can, slip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. And notice again and again and again the call for you and I to seek the Lord and to make it a priority in our life. It's talking here, and notice it's talking about someone who didn't do this. And notice what it says in 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14. It says, he did evil. Now, what was the great evil he had done? He did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He said he, he did a very evil thing. Now, you know, I think many of you already know this, but the bottom line is everybody in this room has sinned. What you may not be aware of, and maybe you have, maybe you're not. Let me ask you this. Have you thought about the fact that, that everybody in this room has actually committed the greatest sin you could possibly commit? You may say, well, no, no, I don't know if I agree with that. You might say, no, I, I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't agree with that at all. I mean, clearly, I, I know people who are far more evil than the people sitting around me. Now, now, I'm really serious about this, and I think you may end up agreeing with me. If the Bible's true, which we believe it is, it tells us that God's greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So therefore, if you break that command, you have broken the greatest commandment ever given. You've committed the greatest sin possible. The greatest sin we could commit is not to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And what the word of God teaches is if you love him like that, you will seek him. And if you don't seek him, you're doing a great evil. Now, the last thing we want to be is apathetic in our faith. And, and you know what? I, I want to say that there's a danger for most of us that we act like spirituality and a commitment to God happens by osmosis. You know, if I walk in the church and everybody around me worships, therefore, I guess I'm going to be closer to God. No, it's not going to happen. Well, you know what, if I'm around people who read the word of God and I can ask them questions, then I'm going to get, no, that isn't what happens. You know, if, if I have a, a person who's a prayer warrior and I get them to pray, well, you know what, that, that isn't going to get you closer. And we need to understand this is a very individual relationship that's born out in a community together, but it's one that creates a desire, hopefully, where we want to move forward. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles 15, just Skip over a couple of chapters and look what it says here. Second Chronicles 15, verse 12. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. 
whether small or great, man or woman. Now that's a pretty amazing thing. A group of people got together and said, let's make a covenant together. Let's make a covenant that everybody here will seek the Lord our God with everything we have. And let's also make an agreement that anybody who doesn't do that will just kill them. Why? Because it's that big a deal. It's that big a deal that someone would understand that's the great calling in life. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. And, and the great calling in our life is that we need to do this. We need to seek him with everything we have. Now turn to Psalm 34 with me. And, and I want to take you through some promises that God gives to those who seek him. Now, I want you to grab hold of these promises. I think it's pretty incredible. The Lord says if you and I would seek him, there are certain things that will, he guarantees will happen. This is God's guarantee for you and me that if we would seek him and seek to be connected to him, that the great things would occur. Now, while you're turning to Psalm 34, let me remind you where I'm trying to take you. I've stated in the beginning that God has created a cathedral to experiencing him in called time. He has called for you and I then to seek him with everything we have and, and to use the time we have to spend with him. And then he's given us promises that come from seeking him. Look at Psalm 34 verse 10. It says, the young lions do not lack and suffer hunger. Or excuse, I'm sorry, I read that wrongly. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Did you hear that promise? God says, if you seek me with everything you have, you're not going to stand back and feel like you're missing out. But I can promise you this. If you don't seek God, there's going to come a place where your life will feel empty. It's an amazing choice here. God says, if you seek me with everything you have, you're going to look around and say, God, I, my life's not missing a thing. I mean, it, it's just amazing what you've done. Now, let's think about that because lots of people walking around feeling like they're missing pieces in their life. Uh, while I'm talking about this, turn over to Proverbs 28. Um, uh, uh, an incredible number of people find something missing in their life because they never had a dad. They never had a, a man in their life who cared for them and loved them and befriended them and poured in, in wisdom into them and encouragement into them. And, and there's this missing piece that, that they're thinking, man, what's wrong with me that my father, my father didn't love me? And you know what God says? If you seek me with all you have, I'll take away that. I'll take away what that missing area that you think's missing. Why? Because I'm going to become a father to you. God actually says, I would love to let you know this. One of his great desires is to be a father to the fatherless. And he says, you're going to experience that more than you know. Uh, uh, there are people who uh, look around and they say, I, I'm just not finding the kind of romantic love. And I see that he had, this person has it and this person has it. And, and you think, man, I feel like I'm, something's missing and something's wrong with me. And you know what God says? God says, if you would seek me with all your heart, you're going to find one who loves you so much, I'll wipe away that, that feeling of it. Now you might say, well, I was hoping he would give me somebody. You know, and I want to tell you he might, but I can tell you this, God, God can actually make your life so incredible. You're going to look around and think, you know what, I don't, I don't even need that. Some of you might think, man, if I just had more money, I'd be happy. You know, I just wish I had a bunch of stock in General Motors. No, okay. And, uh, 
And you know what God's saying? No, you're going to find out something greater than that can take place in your life. Now, here's the point. God may choose to bless you with a person or a friendship or a romantic partner. He might do that because he does those things. But the biggest point of all is he blesses you in such a way with his presence that if you seek him, you're not going to feel like you're lacking any good thing. And we have a lot of people right now in our society, in this, this room, in this area, who are afraid they're going to lose their home, they're going to lose their job, they've lost their job or home, and they feel like, okay, so I'm in trouble here. But if you have God, in the end, you're not going to feel like anything matters all that much except him. And you might say, oh, Chuck, that's an easy thing to say. Well, let me tell you that history has proven this to be true. Because we have seen people be followers of Christ who are kings that have found their life flourishing. And we have seen people, followers of Christ, who have been imprisoned and found their life flourishing. You can be a king or a prisoner. And if you do what this says, history has shown, people have testified that God more than makes up for it. People who have lived lives of amazing freedom and people who have been enslaved have found that this works. Church history has proven it. People who have suffered catastrophic events in their life, where they're physically uh, been wiped out, have found that God moves in such a way that it's made life incredible, and there's done those who are amazingly healthy. Church history has name after name after name of people who have just flourished with God. And when we connect with him and seek him, then that's what matters. Look at Proverbs 28 verse 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. So he says, you know what, if you seek me, you're going to have this amazing understanding of everything that, that really matters in life. And by the way, I think all of us who know the Lord, you know, I know this is going to sound prideful and, and we don't want to be prideful. But let me just say it. Haven't you noticed when you're a follower of Christ and you get around people who aren't, you're just amazed at the things they think. You're like, that is just stupid. Now, I know if you're not a Christian tonight, you go, you mean sometimes you think we're stupid? Well, I, I know that I'm stupid a lot too, but yeah, we think that. And, uh, you know, some of the most insane things that could ever be said, and you're looking thinking, where did you get that from? You don't have any understanding of what matters. But God says, if you seek me, I'm going to give you understanding. An amazing understanding for life. How about this? Hosea 10 verse 12 says, Sow with a view of righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness upon you. God says, I am just going to rain upon you righteousness. I'm going to make your life amazing. I'm going to give you understanding. I'm going to cause amazing satisfaction and contentment to come. God says, this is what happens when you seek me and connect with me. In Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, we all love that passage. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. He says, you're going to find me there. God's promising not to play hide and seek with you. Turn to Psalm 16 if you can. Yeah, this is one if you haven't underlined, you need to underline Psalm 16. But God says, I'm not going to play hide and seek with you. I'm not going to call out to you, seek me, and I'm going to be hiding. You know, I'm going to be behind, you know, Pluto or whatever that planet they've now said is not a planet. And, and you're not, you know, God says, if you look for me, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for you. 
And, and so God's great calling is for you and I to experience that. Now, what happens when we're in his presence? When we've sought him, he promises to, to cause us not to have a want for any good thing in our life, to be amazed about how he meets our needs and causes our life to flourish. And the Lord says, you know, I, I want to tell you, I'll give you an amazing understanding. But then he says, when you have connected with me. In other words, when the seeking has worked so that you and I have connected, what is the outcome of that? Psalm uh, 16 verse 11 says this, you will make me to know the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Now, I'm not going to take too much time on this. Some of those are tempted, but please, if you even haven't been listening, to, listen to this. God says something to you. He says, if you find me, I am going to lead you down the path of life. I'm going to teach you how to live. I'm going to show you what life is all about. I'll reveal my will to you. I'll show you who you've been created to be and the life you were made to live. And I'm going to guide you on the path of truly living. God says, I'm going to reveal that to you if you come to connect with me. God says this, he goes, I'm going to give you the fullness of joy. And the word fullness there actually is an overflowing fullness. I'm going to pour joy until it's spilling over in your life. And you're going to go, this is incredible. And by the way, the best thing about joy is joy is better than happiness. He doesn't say, I'm going to always make you be happy. But he says, I'm going to pour joy upon you so that no matter what occurs, you're, there's this amazing joy that flows. And then the third thing, he says, at your right hand are pleasures forever. God says, I'm going to reveal pleasures to you. When you're in my presence, you're going to experience that. It's joy, it's pleasure, it's guidance. It comes to us. Why? Because Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and... Not just that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So you come to the one who wants to reward you, to bless you, to give to you. Uh, that's what happens. Um, some of you see Noah running around here tonight, and Noah really is like a grandson to me. I just love that little boy. He's got my heart. And uh, Talia has certain rules uh, about Noah, her and Ricky do. Like one is he has to eat only incredibly healthy, healthy, healthy food. I mean, never, ever, no break, no cookies, uh, none of that. And so we've honored that. Another rule she has is she doesn't want him to be overwhelmed with gifts. Well, I, I won't honor that one. I'm buying him stuff all the time. Pick him up in the morning, go, dude, wait till you see what I've got for you in the house. And I see her eyes roll, and I understand why she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want him to be spoiled. And uh, even though I, Pam and I love Talia, it's too bad. You know, I'm going to do it. And so I, I'm buying stuff all the time, huh? And, and you know what? I just get such a joy out of giving it to him. And, and, and here's the thing is, is, if you haven't caught it, you ready? God feels that way about you. Did you know that right now? I promise you this. If you love him and you're seeking him and you're connected to him, he's looking and thinking, oh, wait till I give you this. Wait till I, he really, did you know God's thinking that way for you? And right now you could say, Lord, do you have a surprise for me? And you know what his answer is going to be? He goes, yeah, I do. I have a surprise for you. And it's perfect. I mean, it's going to bless you. God can't wait to do that for you. He is one who wants to bless and reward. And when you get in connection with him, this is this dad who loves you in a way you can't even imagine. Now, now how do we connect with him? This is where I want to jump into. And it's going to be a kind of an overview, but I want to stir your mind with what it means. We need to seek him. We need to connect with him. And then how do we enhance the connections with God? Because Jesus said, uh, uh, or Jesus has, has this desire for us to do this. Now, Jesus did do it. 
And, and how did he do it? Well, it always, always includes this. You're going to have to take time away to seek him. You're going to have to use that time, that, that time that you only have a little bit of, and prioritize it so you're seeking to be with him. In Matthew 14, 23, it says about Jesus, after he had sent away the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray when it was evening and he was there alone. In other words, you're going to have to take some time just to get away and be alone with God. Uh, pastor Cho, who's the pastor of the largest church in the world, uh, they, they, they say right now that that church is running 750,000 people. And they've started a bunch of little churches of 20 and 30,000 on top of it. And uh, now, can you imagine, if you're the pastor of a church of 750,000, you might have a lot of things to do. And Pastor Cho said this. I thought this was interesting. He said, I have learned that I need to spend three hours a day with the Lord to function. And then on a very busy day, I need to spend four. Now, did you catch that? In other words, most of us have the opposite view. Okay, I need to spend some time with the Lord, but if I'm busy, well, then it's just going to... And his, he goes, no, 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 no. I spend three hours a day minimum with the, the, the Lord, but when my day gets really, really busy, then I have to add an extra hour of prayer in. I remember one night, I've told this before, but it was kind of eye-opening to me, that Pam and I were driving up to Christ Church of the Valley when we were youth pastors there, and I pulled in, and I happened to see this girl, and I waved, and she just looked like she wanted to cry. Her name's Erin. Uh, I love this girl. We helped lead her to Christ. It just, oh, man, love this girl. And I got out, and I walked over. I go, are you okay? And she just started to cry. And I said, what is it? She goes, I am so overwhelmed. She was in honors classes. She was a cheerleader. She was in cross country. She was trying to go to church. Uh, uh, she was trying to, to, she had a job so she could help it support at home. And she said, had five major responsibilities that were just tearing into her. And she said, I just don't know how to cope with all of this. And I said, I can't tell you what to do right now, but why don't we pray together? I mean, really pray. And then let, you know, in a couple days we'll get together and I'll, I'll help you kind of map out a plan. And so what happened is we prayed. Well, two days later, we weren't able to get together because she got called into work. And I thought, that's going to make things worse. And then the weekend came and I couldn't be with her. And then so finally, we come all the way around to next Wednesday and Pam and I walk up and we're ready to encourage her. And she looks at us and she's happy and she's excited. And she goes, you know what? I'm fine. And I go, what did you do? She goes, well, I decided to get up an extra hour early and spend an extra hour with the Lord. And now I can handle everything. And I said, really? Yeah. She goes, I get up at five in the morning to be with the Lord. I'm like, what? There's five in the morning. And you know what? It made all the difference. And to this day, that's what she's learned. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't manage our time correctly, but let me tell you this. When you take time to be with God, it makes all the difference. He blesses things in a way you can't believe. And so if some of you right now go, oh, I'm amazingly stressed. Well, then add an extra hour with God. Add an extra two hours with God. Now, how do you do this? How do we do these, what we call more alone times with God? Well, one way is by having a quiet time where you get a journal like the one we have out or you get your own and you literally read through scripture and study it and you carve out an amount of time to be with God. And, and I don't know if you love doing that, but I love doing it. And every single day, man, I've got my Bible and my coffee and my journal and we just spend time together. <coughs> so I read some scripture 
and I talk to God about it as we read and I ask questions of him or I go, oh, this, this makes me think of this and I talk to him about it as we read and then I write down some insights that God has given me and then I write out a prayer to him and, and then I'm ready to go on in my day and, and I usually spend about an hour with him every single morning like that and, and, and it's just incredible to me. So there's lots of ways to do quiet times but everybody ought to have a time each day that it's you and God alone. Another way to spend time with God is meditation. And I'm going to get into that next week. I want to teach you how to meditate. And, 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 and it's, there's a difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation. But God's word talks about meditating on scripture. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says that blessed is the man who meditates on his word day and night. And so when you understand biblical meditation, it not only relaxes you and infuses energy into your life, but, but it creates an amazing connection with God. Another way to connect with him is prayer, and everybody knows about that. Uh, but we're going to talk more later on about how to pray more effectively. Another way to connect with God is this thing called fasting. And sometimes that means going without food for a day, or two days, or three days. Jesus did it for 40 days. I'm not going to do that one. Uh, but, but, you know, or you fast from something for 40 days. A lot of people fast during Lent. And, uh, uh, you know, Daniel fasted from all pleasurable foods. Uh, you know, there's lots of ways to fast, but that helps you deepen your connection with God. By the way, real quickly, um, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine reported recently that when people fast for two to three days, it does improve your ability to, to mentally think and function. That's a new study that's just come out. And while God has called for fasting anyway at times, are you ready for this? Your mind actually functions at a higher level during times of fasting. And, and you're clear. You're more perceptive. It, it, it's an amazing physical reaction that, that works for us. Uh, uh, something else that really creates an amazing thing are times of true solitude with God. Now, where you really carve out a day where it's just you and him alone or two days where it's just you and him alone. You go on a one-on-one -on -one retreat with God and, and you make sure you're doing that. Here's another one. This is a tough one. You ready? Another way to connect with God is in silence. You literally decide you're not going to say anything. You're not going to speak anything. You're just going to pray silently, write. But you're going to have a considerable period of time where hopefully there's not a lot of stuff being drilled into your mind or other people talking or music or TV. But you literally are alone and you sit silently like, and just seek to connect with him. Another way uh, to deal with God is tithing. And, and, you know, we get into that at different times, but it's a, a discipline that helps you connect with God. And another way to deal with God and, and connect with him is by blessing others. You look for ways to bless other people. And, and it's best when that's done in ways that they don't know you're doing it. But no matter what, you, you act upon that. So, so we have these kind of ways to connect with the Lord that help us. Now, uh, we need to seek to do this. But are you ready for this? There's some other disciplines we want to teach you. Uh, I'm going to start through these pretty quick too. But and stir your mind with these. These are what we call the disciplines of community. Because while we connect with God in times of more one-on-one -on -one connection, God also has made us to connect with him and deepen our connection with him in the midst of community. That's one reason he made the church. And, and, and Jesus did this too. While Jesus would get off alone to pray and be with God, Jesus' custom also was to be in a community setting. Uh, Luke 4.16 says that he came to Nazareth, and when he had been brought up, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood to read. It was Jesus' custom every single Sabbath to enter the synagogue and to be in a place of community. On uh, Luke 22.15, at the Passover, he says this, 
He said to the disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before. He goes, I couldn't wait to share this amazing feast with you and this ritual with you. Why? Because it deepens our connection with him and with God. The, the church has always placed a high value on community. In Acts 2.42, it says, And they, the early Christians, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread in prayer. And in Hebrews 10, there's a, a great call, a command that comes in verse 23, where it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as this is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I think that that's probably easy to do. You know what? Every time anything happens that tells us that the Lord is coming back, I, I think that all of us have an easier time praying. Uh, in getting together. But he says, more than ever, as you see that the time is passing us by and the day of the Lord is approaching and you're marking time, he says, make sure you're in community gatherings that make sense. And that's why, by the way, we have a, our, our mission statement is a passionate commitment to Christ, his cause, and community. And, and now, how do we develop community? Uh, get ready for this. These are disciplines that we can do. Number one are the feasts. Uh, we're going to be talking about this more and at times enacting them. Uh, there's the Feast of Passover. And next year, I'm hoping we actually have some Passover meals taking place. And we go through the amazing meaning behind it and worship within it. And you share it with others. But let me tell you this. Passover was actually, it would be a sin. Are you ready for this? It's a sin to take Passover alone. Did you know that? Passover, it, it says if you you have food, you invite others to come partake. If you don't have any, you find someone else who will take you in. You are never to take Passover alone. Matter of fact, all the feasts were meant to be done in community. That's interesting because do you know where we got communion from? Communion comes out of Passover. And while I think it's a beautiful thing that at times you take communion and you get one-on-one -on -one with God, it's a good thing to do at times. You need to understand that the true foundation of communion was to be done in a, in a corporate setting. So one of the terms for communion that was used by the early church was the love feast. That the communion, we would draw together and, and it's, we would discern one another and pray for one another and share together. And that's the whole idea behind it. Uh, there's the feast of the booze. I don't know if we should do that or not, but I want to tell you, I think it's fun. What is it? It's basically having a camp out together. We could put tents all over this property, and, and you come, and you celebrate, and, and we blow trumpets, which the neighbors would love, and, uh, and, and you go through this amazing time together. Are you, you may not be intrigued by this. I am. Do you know that in the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the, the only true feast we know he's going to keep is the Feast of the Booths? We don't know that he's going to have Passover or any of the others, but we do know he's going to keep the Feast of the Booths. And, and, and it's a very amazing time that we would share together. And, and so that, that's one way. Now, how about this? Another discipline you can do is Sabbath. Uh, and I want to teach on this one. I am so excited to teach you how to do Sabbath. Let me give you a confession. I have never, ever, ever done Sabbath correctly my whole life. I thought I had until I studied it, and now I'm understanding it. And this is how sad it is for Pam and I. We have been planning to do one, but we cannot carve out the time right now because of previous commitments to actually do the Sabbath correctly. But when you do the Sabbath correctly, it becomes one of the most joyous things you can imagine. I can already see it. Now, are you ready for this too? I don't know if this will grab you. According to the teachings of Sabbath, it's a sin to do Sabbath alone. 
Sabbath is all about a relational setting, gathering people together and experiencing God in a community setting. And, and so what you do is you begin Sabbath with your family and maybe your friends or family and friends. And as soon as the sun begins to set, you cease from all work and you light candles. And there's always the woman who lights the candle. And she lights the candles and she embraces light into her house. And then she calls for the family to be blessed. And then the, the patriarch of the family calls for blessings upon each family member. And so you begin by praying and praising God together. And then you begin to eat of some incredible food. And it's really, really important you don't do the dishes. <laughs> you know, why? Because you're not to take any time from one another and praising God and sharing together. And, and, and then you go through some other things together that are, some are just fun. And, and then I, I, I shared this one before, but I'll teach on it again. If you're married, you're supposed to have sex. So uh, we'll definitely teach that one. Anyway, uh, but, but Sabbath is incredible. How about this? We're gonna, I want to take a, a Sunday, a weekend for sure. And teach on a discipline called aging. There's a lot in scripture about that. But we don't talk about how that can help you connect to God. You might say, well, you know, I, we all grow older. No, there's a discipline of aging. Where, where you get with an older person and you listen to them. And you honor them. And you seek to be with them. Now, in a, a, a time-stressed society like ours, that's difficult to do. Now, what I'm about to say is probably going to sound kind of cold. But I think a lot of you would share this with me. And this is true, isn't it, for a lot of us, maybe almost all of us, that sometimes when an older person starts to talk, you're like, oh, no, I'm trapped. They're going to go on and on, and I've got this to do. And you know what God says? If you want to connect deeply with me, there ought to be at times, intentional times, where you gather someone older and you look at them and say, hey, how, how was your life? Tell me how you met God. And, and by the way, it's an amazing thing to have happen. We're a society that doesn't understand the way to connect to God deeply. And in part, this, this, this amazing discipline of aging, which is taught over and over in Scripture, of caring for the aged, of embracing age, uh, uh, of allowing that to happen is a pretty amazing thing. There's a discipline of mourning. We don't do that well. Uh, uh, we do okay in the first few days of mourning when someone loses someone. But when you understand the teachings of Scripture and how you handle that, it's amazing how you connect with God over a process of taking somebody through two years of mourning correctly. Uh, there's also the discipline of worship, which we all understand that one, and connecting with God and community by praising him and praise. There's a discipline of serving, and there's a discipline of blessing others through giving. Uh, so we're going to dig into all that. But, but here's the point is God has created it so you and I can connect with him in 